coronavirus is visible in the stool for you know months after an infection. So something about it stays in your body, and something about it um, you know is affecting your microbiome somehow. I'm Matt Newberg, founder of Hungry, and I'm Amran Answer, founder of Food Hack, and together we're the hosts of the Feed. What if we could tailor the way we ate according to microbiome or genetic profile? This may sound a bit futuristic, but the tech is now within our grasp. And consumer demand is rising for personalized nutrition, which is forecasted to be a $64 billion market over the next two decades. A number of companies, including Viome and Day2, have been developing their offers to make it easy for everyday people to take their personal health into their own hands. Our speaker today, Richard Sprague has tried them all. In fact, Richard has collected over 600 microbiome tests using skin, nose, and fecal samples, and he shares with us some of the interesting results he's observed, why he's excited for the future of this industry, and the opportunities he sees for companies and entrepreneurs looking to get into the personalized nutrition space. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon. Uh, Armand is in Geneva. So we want to introduce Richard. Richard is a technology veteran who started his career at Apple in the 1990s, where he worked as a marketer on an early version of what is now Apple TV. He left to join a media startup, which was later acquired by Microsoft, where he remained for more than a decade. Now he's the CEO of AI-based healthcare company AirDoc Technology, Inc., He's done over 600 microbiome tests using his skin, nose, and fecal samples over the last six years. His fascination with his gut microbiome has led him to form Personal Science, a personalized nutrition project to help people discover their ideal diets by helping them track their glucose responses to doctor-prescribed meals. Richard, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Good to meet you guys. Richard, I wanted to jump in with a few questions about just your tech experience. I mean... What, uh, how did you get into the tech world and what are some of the key takeaways you had during your time there that maybe passed on to your experience and what, what you're doing today? Uh, well, that's actually a very interesting question because um, I would tie together my interest, my current interest in biology and in food to um, my, the way that I originally got into the computer world, which was way, way back when I was in, in uh, high school. And uh, this is before there were PCs and before there was internet and before all this kind of stuff. And uh, I somehow fell in with the what's what's called the Homebrew Computer Project or the Homebrew Computer Club, which was in um, in California, in Silicon Valley. Um, I attended some of their earlier meetings, and uh, and I and I really enjoyed that early computer revolution period before people like Bill Gates were famous or Steve Jobs or all those guys, and they were just normal people. And it was so obvious back then when you looked at the way that uh, computer microprocessors were, were coming along and everything, it was just so obvious that this was the future. And yet it was being built by normal people. And, uh, you know, there was a time when, you know, it was just all teenagers that were, um, you know, creating all these companies that you've heard of today. And of course, a zillion other companies that you've never heard of because they all failed. But um, I, really was, um, I really was fascinated by that period in history. But I was a little bit too young. I'm I'm a little bit younger than you know people like you know Jobs or Gates, and uh, so I wasn't able to start my own company back then. But I was definitely able to see how easy and how you know wonderful it was to be part of a revolution. And um, just as time went on, 
you know, then the computer industry has been you know crowded now with just about everybody. And I was, and I've been kind of in the back of my mind thinking, well, what's the next big thing? And sometime in the '90s, I started thinking that the next big thing is going to be biology. And uh, just like we humans, you know, we have software, which is you know the the culture and the language and everything else that we use. But um, we also have hardware. And what better way to understand your hardware than by looking at your genes? And so when the Human Genome Project came out, I was just really interested in that. I was a I was real excited when the first um, uh, direct-to-consumer tests from 23andMe and others came out and tried tried all that stuff. And um, I was disappointed because um, I don't know if either of you have done have you done 23andMe tests yourselves? Yeah, I have. Or yeah, okay. And did you learn anything interesting? I mean, I already knew that I was 99% Ashkenazi Jewish, and uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I met a few random relatives. <laughs> I did exactly, find yeah. I did I did find the correlations to be somewhat interesting around. I mean, it says that I don't need coffee. They're definitely wrong. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> see, that's that's exactly what I found out. Every single thing they told me was stuff that my mother could have, you know always told me. And I, you know, I found out that you know, I have a I have some uh, some gene that makes it so that I don't have resistance to HIV or something. You know, so be careful. <laughs> you know, like you know, and uh, and the thing about coffee. Um, it says that I should avoid drinking coffee in the afternoon, but that's never been true for me. Right. Um, you know, I drink as much coffee as I want. It doesn't affect me at all. And, you know, a whole bunch of things like that. And then, you know, if you turn out that you have the Alzheimer's gene, the quote unquote Alzheimer's gene, mm. um, you know, what are you going to do about it? And not only that, but even then the APOE4 mutation that they look for is, uh, is like gives you like a 60% higher chance, which means right. there's a 40% chance you're not going to get it. You know, so like, yeah, so you're just worrying you know, over what, nothing. And, and, um, you know, maybe it's nice to know, but uh, but in terms of actually actionable, you know, information, there's very little there. So anyway, I kind of put that on the shelf. And uh, about oh six or seven years ago, um, when the first like inklings of the microbiome came out, then I started getting really excited because not only is the microbiome way more genetic material than your human DNA, uh, but it's and it, you know, and it um, it's it's specialized to the human body so it's it's co-evolved with humans over a gazillion years but it's something you can change um one of the first things that i found out after uh i first did my uh you know sampling sequencing of my of my microbiome is that for example i have a i have a microbe that's not very common in westerners uh from uh it's called bacteroides plebeus which i had read a research paper that showed that um this is something that's only found in Japanese guts, not in um, North Americans. And a paper had been you know, published about this 10 years ago. And the fact that I have it was pretty cool because uh, um, another part of my past is that I lived in Asia and especially in Japan for many, many years. And so somehow or another, it looks like I acquired this microbe that normal North Americans don't have. And it, it supposedly makes it easy for the body to digest uh, seaweed. And so when I saw that, I was like, wow, what other kinds of things have I acquired? What other kinds of things might I acquire? And this completely turned my perception of genomics you know, in a different direction because yes, genes matter a lot, but no, it's not fixed. So the human DNA that you have is only part of the story and a much bigger part of the story and one that you can change uh, has to do with uh, the microbiome. So that's, that's that was kind of my interest in it. And then I approached it the way that I approached um, that early computer revolution idea, which is that, uh, you know, just like way back in the 70s, 
all the you know experts on computers were working for you know mainframe companies and and doing mainframe things and the same thing is true today that all the quote unquote experts on biology and genomics are working for big genomics companies or they're working on 10 year grants for you know at the NIH or you know some national cancer institute or something but uh, the technology has reached the price point now where you or I can go buy a $100 test and you and I can we have computer power that can do the kind of analysis that a few years ago would only have been done by, you know, some, you know, highly trained expert. And I think that's just like in the computer revolution, you know, that's opening up the possibility for, you know, the Steve Jobs or the Bill Gates or the somebody of the microbiome is going to step up. And, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, this was just totally obvious. Well, then if it's so obvious, how come everybody's not doing it? Can you jump in and tell us a little bit more about like the under, the underlying, the enabling technology that is basically um, fueling this innovation? And we know 20 years ago, we sequenced the first human genome. Uh, when did we sequence uh, the first microbiome? And uh, what are the technical complexities with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. The human genome was sequenced at the cost of a gazillion dollars and you know it, it, it was years of labor by thousands of people and that was just a sequence one you know one genome and the human genome is like about three i think is it three million uh base pairs um uh or you know it's 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 uh no it's more than that sorry um but uh the total number of genes is something like twenty thousand or thirty thousand something like that and when uh you're talking about your microbiome you're talking about thousands, maybe tens of thousands of different organisms, each with their own genomes. So how would you ever sequence tens of thousands of gen you know, genomes in your gut when it's so hard to sequence just one from a human being? Now, costs have plummeted, and it's becoming it's become possible now for you to have your one your human genome sequence for you know, well under $1,000. But um, how could you possibly sequence all those genomes of microbes that are in and on you and you know constantly changing? Well, it turns out that uh, somebody found a trick to simplify it in the form of, although each of those genes is different, or each of those sorry, genomes is different, each of those organisms is very different, all bacteria share a couple of things in common. And in particular, they share one uh, gene, which is called the, it's referred to as the 16S mRNA gene that is responsible for how that uh, cell, a bacterial cell, uh, reproduces. And so it's going to be common in all bacteria. So all bacteria are going to use this type of gene to be able to reproduce. But of course, bacteria have been around for a long time. And slight subtle mutations have occurred in that gene that make it possible for you to identify a bacteria uh, based just on looking at that one gene. So you don't need to look at the whole sequence of thousands and thousands, or maybe, you know, maybe much many more. Um, base pairs in order to be able to understand uh, what that bacteria is. You can just look at that one gene, and now you've got a unique identifier for particular organisms. The problem is that uh, how would you know exactly what the name of that microbe is? Well, that's where uh, the Human um, Microbiome Project, which I think is about, it's a little more than 10 years old, I guess, where uh, this is a government project where they sequenced all of the common microbes that were found in a whole bunch of people's guts, and they built a reference database. So now we know that 16S gene, we know 
uh, roughly which microbes they correspond to because we know which microbes are commonly found in the human gut. And that makes it possible then for you to sequence sometimes you know, fewer than 10,000 base pairs in order to be able to find out a good idea of what kind of microbes are living in your gut. And it's that shortcut called 16S that made it possible, you know, coming up on 10 years ago, to make sub $100 uh, microbiome tests. And now since then, of course, gene sequencing costs have come down a lot. So now it's possible to do a much broader sequencing, which is which is called whole genome sequence or metagenomic sequencing of, of the gut, um, you know, for similar very very cheap prices. So that's kind of the technological technological breakthrough. And um, you know those costs are going to keep on plummeting, and uh, the speed at which you're able to do that sequencing is also going to get you know faster and faster until, in a few years from now, it'll be possible to get your whole microbiome sequenced in you know a couple hours for super cheap. Can you share a playing playing field of like uh, who's the main uh, who's the main competitors in this field right now? Uh, what how do they differ from each other, and wh which ones you've tried and which ones you're particularly bullish on? Uh, well, I've tried everybody, <laughs> so let's see. Um, the earliest one was uh, a San Francisco startup called Ubiome, who I actually worked with for a while, and I was one of their first customers. They they got started on Indiegogo actually through a crowdsourced funding project, and uh, it's kind of a like a kind of an inspirational story of how uh, you know two normal people could start a company that became, in its day, it was the biggest uh, microbiome sequencing company. They unfortunately went bankrupt um, about a year ago. Uh, but there are, you know, the, the market has exploded. There are tons and tons of other companies that do similar sorts of things. Um, in terms of the big ones, I would say there's Day2, who, Matt, I think uh, you contacted me based on a you know, test that you'd done with them. And their technology is based out of um, some research that had been done in Israel a few years ago. Very, very fascinating, finding connections between the types of food you eat and, uh, and your body's response to glucose. And the Day2 test is based on that that uh, that that research. Um, the other big one is a company called Viome, which uh, will they use a slightly they use actually it's a different technology called transcriptomics, where instead of looking at the microbes that are in your body, they look at the transcripts, in other words, the um, proteins that are being generated by those microbes. So you can tell act like what, what is actually going on. So you're looking at the activity that those microbes are doing rather than just the microbes themselves. And, and Biome will claim that that's a much, much better way to look at your, uh, um, like, uh, you know, what's, what's really going on inside your gut. Uh, and so they sell a test which gives you back, um, similar to day two, a list of foods that are considered good or bad for your microbiome. And then plus now there are, um, you know, there are tons of other companies, um, one that's real common for uh, if you have if you're suffering from gut issues and you want to talk to a like a, a, a specialized you know digestive doctor, uh, there's a company called Genova that makes a popular series of tests. There's another one called Doctors Data. Um, so there's a whole space of those quote unquote clinically um, clinical tests. Um, the company Microba in Australia makes a um, a well-regarded test. Uh, they're also available now in the United States. Um, they do uh, um, it's they do um, you know, whole genome sequencing, so it's a little bit more expensive than the 16S type technology, but it's much more high resolution. In Europe, um, there are a number of companies. Uh, I've heard a lot about um, uh, Atlas. Is that what they're called? Atlas Genomics, I think, um, that uh, sells a test. 
and you know a number of other ones. I, I'm not as familiar with uh, what's going on in Europe. I know that um, some of the other companies like Viome do you know do offer their product in Europe. Uh, but uh, other than them, uh, other than these guys, you know there are literally dozens and dozens of these sorts of companies coming out. And on top of that, because the technology itself is relatively well understood and easy, pretty much any university lab is capable of doing uh, microgram sequencing, and often you know they do. So you'll run into all kinds of research projects out there that are maybe less formal, maybe you know not offered commercially, but somebody is sequencing the microbiome. It's very cheap and easy these days. So I just want to unpack like what personalized nutrition really means for the audience at home, just to understand the chain reaction between, you know, the unique foods that we eat that are tailored to our microbiomes that cause certain glucose responses and what that actually means long-term for longevity and just, you know, day-to-day wellness. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a whole set of very interesting um, ideas that come out of that. When you eat food, uh, kind of the, the simplified version is that you know, your body digests it. That food goes in and you know some kind of juices or something happens inside of your stomach and it you know and it digests it it somehow ends up in your bloodstream but it's a little bit more complicated because what is actually happening is that your your body is shaped a little bit like a you could almost think of it like a tube where um, you've got an exterior part of the tube which is your skin and then you have an interior part of your your tube um, which is your you know your digestive system your alimentary canal and it goes right from your mouth to the rear end. And both sides of that tube, like the exterior and the interior, are covered in microbes. So when you're, when food comes into your mouth, uh, it doesn't actually go into your body so much as it goes into that tube. And the first thing that happens is a whole bunch of microbes work on it. So before it even reaches your bloodstream, or before it, the nutrients and you know other materials that are important for you know for life before they can even make it inside of your body, the first thing that has to happen is they have to go past those microbes, which themselves are going to you know eat it and going to try to generate some kind of um, useful byproducts. Many of those byproducts, which of which end up in your bloodstream, so a huge percentage of all of the metabolites, you know the the vitamins, the um, the interesting chemical compounds that make your body work properly, a huge percentage of them are actually made by the microbes that are in the gut. Now, under normal circumstances for a healthy person, you're going to have the right microbes, many of which you inherited from your mother, by the way, or from you know just the environment that you lived in for your life. Uh, under normal circumstances, those microbes are well suited to your environment. And so any food that comes in is going to get um, you know, that's going to get processed by the, those microbes before it gets passed on to your bloodstream, and things will work well. But every so often, something will happen where you're either missing a microbe, or maybe you have the wrong kinds of microbes, and that food will not be digested properly. And that's, this is where you end up with uh, not just digestive issues, but all kinds of other things that can go wrong with the body, including everything from allergies to um, oh, to you know diseases like uh, like any kind of autoimmune disease, including things like diabetes. Um, obviously gut issues like Crohn's disease or IBS, but all the way up to things like uh, neurogenerative diseases like uh, Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's, 
all of which have associations with the microbiome. And many of those associations, we, all we know is there's an association. We know that people with those conditions have different microbiomes than people without. We just don't know what to do with that information yet. But that's the exciting part because um, people like you or me can go get the test and run your own kind of project if you want to, to understand it. And uh, that's where I think that science is headed. It's more and more, it'll be possible for normal people to do their own microbiome studies and understand the relationship between that and nutrition or whatever else you're interested in. So what are you setting out to achieve with all these uh, tests and projects on, on yourself? What is sort of the, the, the state of, of your body that you're trying to achieve? And, and um, do you feel you're getting there? Day by day. Well, um, so I'm a reasonably healthy person. So I'm, you know, probably the wrong guy to ask, uh, you know, to talk to because usually these sorts of, uh, oh, like a lot of the the, the uh, products or services that you see about the microbiome begin with, you know, some guy who's, you know, got a story about how, you know, they were overweight or they were suffering from this or that, and then they discovered through doing microbiome testing that they, you know, they found the solution. And um, I'm not really one of those stories, although zillions of people have contacted me and so i just became really obsessed with um it's relatively easy if you know something about computer programming to do to study the differences between people's microbiomes and so as people sent me their data <clears throat> i started collecting my own private library of of uh, of uh, microbiome information and then uh unlike say a quote unquote like a like a university study where they're very concerned with things like privacy and things like um you know, informed consent. I'm just talking to friends, to people who want to talk to me. And I found that people are very willing to share their, their information. And people are completely aware of what I'm doing with their data. And they're interested in helping understand, like, you know, what does that data mean? And so because of that, I've got a, you know, kind of a, an interesting large database of, of, uh, of different perspectives, including people with various different kinds of illnesses. And I'm able to do some analysis on that, that I think is really informative. And um, you ask, you know, what have I done personally with this data or what, I, like, how has it benefited me personally? Like I said, because I'm reasonably healthy, it hasn't, you know, pointed to some particular thing that I've been able to say, oh, man, this is something that I've got to do. Um, but it has helped me understand a few things maybe that are um, either more or less useful. So, for example, uh, I did a lot of studies on myself where I would uh, try a particular product and then watch how my microbiome changed as a result. And I concluded that, for example, kombucha, which everybody says is good for your microbiome, I concluded that it really didn't do much for me. And uh, I did this by doing, a, you know, I, I was drinking a ton of kombucha for you know, like 10 days straight, measuring my microbiome and how it changed every day. And I found that the additive that the company that made this kombucha they, you know, they added specific microbes. And I found traces of that microbe. So it showed that, you know, something about the, the additive was actually showing up in my, in my microbiome, but um, it didn't really change much else. It didn't, certainly didn't help the quote unquote good bacteria or the, um, the overall composition of my gut. It didn't, didn't seem like it made much difference. Uh, similarly, when I tried uh, a probiotic pill, which everybody says, you know, oh, you know, take probiotics because that'll help your microbiome. And I've never seen that work, not in me, but, and not in anybody else who sent me their data. So I've got a lot of other people who sent me data before and after they've tried a particular probiotic, and it just doesn't show up in their in their microbiome. But uh, I did find a few things that do work, and the most in interesting one to me was uh, kefir. So the fermented drink kefir, uh, 
makes a very noticeable change in the micro moment. I thought that was yeah. So that's that's the kind of sort of fascinating thing that I've um, that I've uncovered as a result. I just want to say that um, Richard and I started our conversation uh, over email by him being a microbiome fortune teller, looking at um, yeah. my day two da- <laughs> data, where he determined that I was a vegetarian that was on the older <laughs> side, both of which. Um, or not that true. I don't depend. I guess I am old, depending on how you look at it. Um. No, I said. I said because the, the problem is, uh, in your, um, you, I, th- I think you had either low or missing uh, bifidobacterium in the test that you did, and uh, that's very rare for somebody under thirty. If you're over thirty, then um, to be missing uh, bifidobacterium is not that unusual. So that's why I guess that you're probably over thirty. Um, you also had a. Uh, if I remember right, you had um, you had a couple other marks that showed that. Oh, I know you were very high in bacteroidetes, which is unusual for somebody who eats a lot of meat. I don't eat a lot so, of meat. Once a week, I'm trying to go down to, and that's been over the last I don't know six to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. I think that's kind of roughly that's roughly correct. Um, the other ones were uh, you didn't have the microbe, which I've noticed is uh, seems to be common in Europeans. So mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that you have. You not only do not live in Europe, but you probably have never spent a significant amount of time in Europe. Not more than a few weeks, yeah. I can't tell other things about you, like your, I don't know, <laughs> like uh, what your favorite color is, that sort of stuff. But I think, uh, um, you, you know, it is, it's a little bit of a joke to say fortune telling based on the microbiome because, um, you know, it, it shares a lot of the elements of fortune telling. Like part of the skill of a good fortune teller is to, make the other, give enough vague generalities that the other person kind of thinks that, oh yeah, that does sort of kind of make sense. And I say that as a little bit of a joke because although we know there are associations with things, it's very rare that you'll find something in the microbiome that is a steadfast rule. That's really clearly the reason why somebody is in a particular kind of condition. And, um, uh, but we do know these associations exist. So there's no question that if you do a study of a large group of people, you will find significant differences, like noticeable reproducible differences between people who are, say, vegetarians versus omnivores or old versus young. Um, we just don't know exactly what those differences are. And, uh, you know, that's, again, why it's a real exciting field and why, you know, every, you know, a whole bunch of scientists right now are trying to study to figure out if we can nail down more precisely what those differences are. Yeah, I was reading one of your articles where you did a test on day two and on uh, biome and the results came back different and uh, what are we working towards are we working towards more accurate results or I mean wh- where do you see it sort of developing in, in, in the future yeah well okay so everybody wants to get actionable results so wouldn't it be nice and and we're convinced because of these association studies that this will eventually become possible wouldn't it be nice if if uh, you could do a simple test that was based on the you know our the science that says that these microbes are the first in line when you're digesting. And so they have a lot to do with exactly how your body responds to specific food. So wouldn't it be nice if we could do a test that said, oh, um, when you eat apples, uh, your glucose goes up way more than somebody else who eats the same apple. So maybe you want to stay away from apples. And on the other hand, maybe uh, you know, for you, pineapple is a much better choice. Um, and you know, glucose is a very crude measure. It's an important measure, but imagine if we could do the same thing, not just for glucose, but for all kinds of things. So uh, um, I think, Matt, you were mentioning coffee and your 23andMe test. Well, 
they we know because people have done you know large studies on uh, coffee drinkers and looking at their genetics and we know that a lot of people who have a particular gene um, don't do so well with caffeine but a lot of people do just fine with caffeine well why would that be i think the reason is because we have another set of genes as part of our microbiome that metabolizes that caffeine before it even makes it into your body and that's what i think is the missing link between a lot of these genomic studies that find kind of associations but not really very strong associations and if we can learn a little bit more about how the microbiome works in the case of uh, caffeine for example i'm pretty sure that there's a microbe that makes it so that some people can drink coffee in the afternoon and some people can't if we knew what that microbe was or if we knew what the activity is and why it is that some microbes get turned on and some don't maybe we could find a intervention maybe we could find out that eating certain kinds of a certain kind of diet is really the reason why you're having problems with caffeine in the afternoon and if you change your diet or if you take this pill or we introduce this microbe into you somehow uh, maybe that'll make the difference and uh, that's to me that's the exciting part is that we're on the verge of being able to discover those sorts of interventions and the interventions will be things like you know different diet choices things that anybody can do if you have the knowledge wow. of how to do it so so functional foods are super hot right now is it just total bullshit like what we're being marketed to as what's healthy for us and i mean basically what i'm hearing from you and what i've learned from just looking at the space as an outsider is that there's just no one size fit all kind of food that's going to work for everyone there's not one size fit all one size fits all energy drink and and eating if everyone eats fermented foods well who's to say which fermented foods i'm going to respond to and it's just everything is kind of a market of one yep yep and that's the way we're headed um because you're you know these studies that are done on you know it could be done on hundreds of people it could be done on you know millions of people if you look at any any study that shows some kind of uh like nutritional result or something, you know, about you know diet related. There are always outliers. So there's always somebody who eats the ketogenic diet and you know gains weight instead of loses weight, or uh, you know does such and such, you know, detox and gets more toxins and less. There's always some outlier. And my point about all this is that who cares what the average is? Who cares what the you know the 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 final results of the study are? if you're one of the outliers, because what you care about is you, you don't care about the average. So if um, somebody out there says that eating apples is good for you, but they're not good for you, then you know you wanna know that. And what I'm convinced is that all of these studies and all of the um, general knowledge that people take about nutrition boils down to any diet, any intervention, anything that you wanna say, where you find somebody out there who claims that it works for them, it probably does work for them. It just may not work for you. And uh, that's why there's just no one size fits all on anything. And the way that we're gonna get uh, in the future, I think, is that you'll be able to do simple tests, like a microbiome test, that will tell you very precisely what will work for you. And I think that's gonna be pretty cool. What What do you think is currently holding back the personalized nutrition space from growing into, into mainstream right now? Yeah, um, that's a good, I, I mean, actually, I'm sort of curious what you guys think about this, because you, you live and breathe the whole, you know, um, you know, nutrition and um, you know, food space. Uh, from the point of view of being able to do uh, like diagnostic testing, that problem will be solved in a few years when it becomes super easy and, and very convenient. So 
Uh, right now, it's kind of gross that you have to do a poop test to find out what's in your microbiome. But you know, eventually, people will come up with ways that uh, it'll be a lot less intrusive. And um, you know, even now, um, doing a, um, a saliva test makes it possible for you to learn a lot about your the microbiome in your mouth. And maybe that has you know that that already has clear connections between um, oh, say uh, like you know various different immune diseases, but also something like um, like cavities. There's one microbe that's known to cause um, cavities. If you have that in your mouth, um, I don't care how much you brush your teeth, you're still going to get cavities. But if you don't have it in your mouth, you probably won't get cavities. <laughs> and uh, it's little things like that that we'll find out that after, after it becomes less intrusive and a lot easier for people to measure things, then I think we'll then I'll, I think we'll see a lot more adoption. Um, meanwhile, I, I, I mean, I would argue that uh, in terms of personalized nutrition, that's already becoming a popular thing. That's already a reason to um, you know, for you know, a lot of people are interested in uh, you know, finding something that's more precisely tailored to their own needs. I did a test uh, for day two, as I've mentioned here earlier, and when I tell people about the the stool sample and the the price point, uh, that particular test was like, you know, a couple hundred bucks. Um, and then I just basically started um, dreaming up different API integrations between day two and like a sweet green menu or just like going on Postmates and pulling up a menu and just seeing a menu of one that's tailored to me. Um, you know, I, I think it was like a little hard for people to jump a couple steps ahead. But I think if like I think you're spot on about if you can lower the barriers and, you know, of not having to shovel poop into a, a tube and, you know, make it cheap and give me actionable insights because I had to send my PDF of my 30 page report to you, um, then we'll, we'll have something. But I think each of those steps, uh, could take some time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what, you know, there's a, there's a lot of entrepreneurial energy trying to figure out how to make that whole process a lot more streamlined. Once we see more case studies of people who, um, this has really transformed their, you know, their way of living. Uh, I think you'll see, you know, you'll, you'll see a little, you know, a lot more takeoff and that's where, you know, what we're getting with, um, you know, day two, uh, just the scientists behind it just published another um, another result uh, a few weeks ago, I think, uh, where they were able to replicate the findings that they had done originally to show that uh, apparently, you know, people who follow the day two advice really do get better. Yeah, one uh, I had an interesting conversation with someone at Purina the other day, and they said that they're really uh, excited by the pet space and personalized nutrition in the pet space. Because it's much easier to get the uh, dog owners to uh, uh, get a DNA sample and get their, their 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 animals. And there's also less regulation in there in that in the, in the field less area. regulation. Much easier to get their uh, animals to stick to a, a set diet. Easier to get the uh, food direct to the door. Whereas with the sweet green example, uh, the the difficulty there is it's a fresh meal, getting it. You know, scaling it out into different locations, there's a bit of a challenge there. So they're they're going there with the with a Purina approach. I think they're coming out with something very soon in the next month or something like that. And then, or maybe they have something out. I, I can't remember. Um, but they are very bullish on the fact that personalized nutrition is absolutely the way to go. I think it's you know, uh, being healthy, living long is the new rich. Uh, everyone's trying to extend their life, and th this is the way. This is the way to go. I just think that there's a bottleneck to the to the companies that are in this space, and I think it's the business model that some companies are taking. Whether it's because they can't get repurchased buyers, or um, it's the it's the fact that it's just a stigma to 
the way that you collect samples. I still think there's just something that's holding back the industry. Um, and there's a few companies that, you know, I can think of like Bayes, Mixfit, uh, ones that, you know, they're still maybe at a certain size where, uh, you know, they're growing, but at a steady pace. I'm just wondering what 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 will it take for them to get to the next stage? Um, is it more? Yeah. Um, well, I I could just give you my a couple of my thoughts. Um, first of all, like, uh, well, let's see. I I've tried Bayes. Um, I I guess there's you know there's a lot of advantage to be able to do blood test. Um, there's a company called Longevity that does uh, blood test plus microbiome testing plus you know genomics. Um, you might see better results if you have that integrated. Um, like a more comprehensive integrated look at all the different kinds of omics. Um, uh, where, where, what I think is, um, like what's interesting about the microbiome is again, the ability to be able to change things and uh, you know give you actionable, you know some actionable advice that says, eat this, don't eat that. And we know, you know, it's pretty well, you know, it's, it's, you can, you can, pretty safely say that if you change your diet to a particular way that it's going to change the microbiome and um, and that has an effect on things uh, but again these are kind of early days a lot of the tests that you see that are uh, personalized um, like uh, diet tests that are based on your genomics um, I just don't think they're very they're very useful and that may be giving the industry a little bit of a bad name because you'll see a lot of products out there that say uh, you know try my genetic test and I'll tell you which kinds of foods are better for you or not and I just don't think there's a whole lot of um, evidence that that works. Uh, yeah, I did that. I sent my my 23andMe to uh, GenoPallet. Uh-huh. So I downloaded my genome mm-hmm. and I sent it to them. And did you find anything special, actionable? No comment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, um, I mean, things keep keep getting better. Uh, but I, again, I just feel like um, it's pretty obvious that the, in terms, if you're going to do something with that involves genomic testing, then uh, the microbiome is going to be the way, the way to go. It's just a lot more genes, and you can you can actually do something about it. Um, I want to talk about I'll throw a wild card in the conversation real quick and talk about something that very top of mind that Armand and I uh, went back and forth on, which is coronavirus and the microbiome. Is there some sort of food that I could potentially be eating that would help <laughs> me ward off Corona? Okay. Well, first of all. Uh, notice that uh, the er, some of the early symptoms of coronavirus for a lot of people um, have to do with digestive issues, and that's a clue that it has something to do with the microbiome. And um, this is well studied. So in China, you know, there are a lot of studies that show a significant um, amount of uh, so, like the coronavirus is uh, visible in the stool for you know months after an infection. So something about it stays in your body. And something about it, um, you know, is affecting your microbiome somehow. There are people who think that uh, that that is both the basis of maybe some new clever detection methods. Um, Viome asked for uh, emergency use authorization to be able to report the the status of the um, the RNA that's known to be associated with the, co- you know, um, SARS-CoV-2 is actually, you know, it's an RNA molecule. And so because uh, Viome looks at RNA, they should, you know, they can tell whether it's in there or not. And they're, the, they're asking the FDA to let them actually report that on the results. And we'll see if that, you know, we'll see if the FDA lets them do that or not. But um, 
Uh, that would be very cool as if you could tell whether or not you had been infected in the past just based on sending out a stool sample. If it does have a an effect on the microbiome, I think this could explain why some people, um, you know, some people can get an infection and it turns really bad, and other people it's just fine. It could be that they just have a different microbiome. So um, we're already hearing, you know, anecdotal reports that say, for example, people who um, uh, have high vitamin D levels do better than people who with low vitamin D levels. Well, it, it's tempting to think that, oh, well, that's because the person, you know, has higher vitamin D. But why do they have higher vitamin D? Well, maybe there's something about their microbiome that's um, helping them metabolize and take advantage of vitamin D better than other people do. And maybe if you did something to change your body, like the microbes that are in and on you, so that you could... Uh, uh, generate more vitamin D in your body, maybe you'd be more resistant as well. Or maybe it's not vitamin D, maybe it's some combination of a whole bunch of different factors that we might be able to understand if we could understand a little bit more about um, you know, what the microbiome is doing and how that affects uh, this virus. So pumping bottles of kefir down is not going to change my chances of... <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I'll, I'll tell you one thing uh, in terms of, and this also relates to like the personalized uh, nutrition you know, food and, and everything else is that um, when people think of personalized nutrition, they tend to, you know, we're still thinking about it in terms of a factory someplace that's going to make the food. Now, whether that's a, you know, what do they call it, a ghost factory? I mean, whether it's a local factory or not, the fact is that uh, you're going to be consuming that food in your kitchen. And there are microbes all over the place in your kitchen and on you that are going to affect how that food gets digested. One of the things that I learned with kefir is that uh, by making it myself in my kitchen, it's very easy to do. Um, it's kind of like there is a digestive system outside my body that's in that glass of kefir. And when the kefir is being um, metabolized by those microbes and turned into something else, it's as if it's personalizing that drink to my exact environment on the exact day that I, that I take it which is very different than the kind of kefir that you buy you know, at the store that um, was manufactured in a facility, no matter whether it's a local facility or a facility far away, it was made by somebody commercially someplace else. And I could see a world where maybe we start to, um, maybe it's not a, a specific drink or a specific food that you eat. Maybe there's like some kind of contraption that you buy that goes, that's an appliance that sits in your kitchen somehow and it uh, absorbs the microbes that are in your direct environment and somehow processes and makes the food be more digestible and more appropriate to your, your exact circumstances. Maybe there'll be some kind of a personalized um, like cooking device <laughs> that, uh, that, we that we find that, uh, you know, that, that, that and that would, be, that would be a lot more transformational, I think. So rather than just taking like some, you know, rather than just taking some kind of food or pill or something that was made by somebody far away, uh, maybe there's some way to be able to make it locally, like really locally, like in your kitchen. <laughs> that'll affect you um, uh, much more, you know, it's, it, that'll be a much more effective uh, uh, solution. Do you, do you know of anything, sorry, locally that would, any technology that would be able to do that? Like these are early days. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's thinking of this, uh, but, um, you know, just my experience of making kefir at home or people make uh, sauerkraut at home, people make lots of different kinds of fermented foods at home. Um and there are, you know, even like the Instant Pot has a yogurt setting. It's just a matter of time, I think, before a lot of the common uh, kitchen appliances uh, maybe allow you to do that sorts of uh, like easy home fermentation. And uh, um, 
you know, fermentation has a lot of advantages besides just um, like the healthy benefits. It's also, you know, a lot of people like the taste and there's a way to be able to make the taste uh, be more tuned to your body. And people might just really like learn to enjoy that. Remember, there's lots of other kinds of fermentations too, like, you know, beer and wine. And, you know, there are a lot of different, a lot of the most interesting foods that we eat are fermented. And like I said, most of those fermentations happen off-site someplace else. Well, what if it turns out that uh, by making it locally in your kitchen, uh, it's not just healthier, but it's also tastier? That's, to me, the real, you know, future of personalized food. Absolutely. My family's made their own yogurt their whole lives. Um, and I have the recipe, and, and I mean, I don't know if it's affected my uh, my, my health. But yeah. uh, do, you still, do you still eat it yourself at home? Do you, do you still make it now? No, uh, I actually kind of forgot how to do it, so uh, I'm gonna go <laughs> gonna go see my mom this this holiday and learn how to redo it. So, but it's, it's pretty simple. You just you just make the culture and then put it in the oven, and that's it. But yeah, yeah. What is it? Uh, is it? It's a yogurt that uh, um, made from milk or from what? It's Turkish yogurt made from uh, milk. Yeah, there are a lot of other drinks that I'm I'm running into. Like um, um, Russians have this thing called kvass. Um, my mother is Lithuanian, and in Lithuania they have a, another drink called gira, which is uh, made from essentially fermenting bread, and uh, it's a popular summer drink. Um, you know, many most of these fermented foods are traditional foods that have been around for thousands of years, and usually that's a sign that it's doing something good. There's some reason why people keep doing this, and you know, yogurt is a classic example. There's a good reason why your mother was doing yogurt for a long time and she learned it from her grandmother or who learned it from her grandmother. It's probably something that we should pay attention to. I just have the uh, Noma Guide to Fermentation sitting on a bookshelf, but I've yet to do anything with it. But uh, I just kind of want to shift back to, to what you're doing with personal science and, and also you know, try to figure out, paint a picture of what what does the ultimate solution look like Um you know, for, you know, meal kits of the future. You know, I saw that you're, you have some doctor prescribed meals that you're shipping out to people and you have a service where you're uh, looking at their data kind of similar to what you did for me. And I uh, would love to, to start to think of, you know, to, to paint a picture of what, um, you know, some of these services are going to start kind of tapping into as far as integrating with, you know, meal kit services or restaurant delivery or uh, yeah, it seems like it's just a matter of time before uh, these meal kit um, companies decide to be a little bit more personalized. I, I'm sure there probably are some that are. I'm not super familiar with that industry right now, but I'm sure there are some that are, you know, trying to use uh, you know some kind of test that you took before you know to find out things. What we were interested in with personal sciences by is that um, it's really important if you want to like these days if you want to find out what foods are best for you, um, you're going to have to undergo a fairly rigorous process of um, like either elimination diet or uh, you know it's specifically like trying to eat particular kinds of food for a while and see how it, how it affects things. And that's something that people have a hard time doing. You can write down all the food that you ate, but again, that's something that most people are just not going to be able to do with a record keeper on that. So what we thought is, well, what if we give you a short period of time, like say five days, 10 days, where we will deliver to your door exactly the food that uh, we've determined is the most efficient way to figure out what's working for you and what's not working for you. And so we'll do essentially A-B testing on your diet. And so you eat our breakfast, you know, on day one, and we compare that with the results of eating, you know, dinner on day three, uh, based on the different types of um, 
of uh, macronutrients that we know are present in each meal because we know exactly how much you ate. We, we measured it. We know exactly what kind of nutrients are in it. And then we compare the results when it's over with to give you a personalized look at what that, um, you know, which, which types of ingredients and which amounts seem to make the biggest difference in you. And, uh, but, but that's meant to be like a short-term program. So it's just a quick way for you to be able to find out. It's essentially doing a clinical study on yourself to find out what works and what doesn't work for you. Um, I think in terms of how to scale that, uh, I hope that over time as we learn more and more about um, like typical behavior and what kinds of things work for people and what kinds of things, that we might be able to make that into something a lot simpler. So you, know, you could imagine that maybe um, like some personalized um, nutrition food of the future is something where you eat a, a candy bar, a, you know, some kind of, you eat some kind of a, like a breakfast bar one day, you do a test. The next day you eat a slightly different breakfast bar and you do a test. And then they say, oh, we just, you know, measured and it turns out that, you know, um, this kind of food for you is good for you. This kind of food is less good for you. So I could see that kind of a test happening. I mean, you work at Ubiome, so you, I, and I read that you basically did a test like every single morning, so you had access to all these kits. I mean, it's it, it's it's a lot to get someone over the hurdle of buying it just for a one-time use. So, um, can you just look at the glucose responses and start to and do the test once, or how does that work? Well, that's where the CGM continuous glucose monitor is so cool. Um, we could do a whole other podcast just about CGM, but. Uh, unlike the microbiome where you have to do, it's kind of a gross sort of test. The CGM is a, um, in the U.S. you can buy it for, it's like about 30 bucks for a two-week uh, patch that you insert. You, you just put it on your arm. It's it's painless. And it talks to your iPhone and lets you know uh, minute by minute how your glucose levels are changing. And if you compare that information to the food that you ate, you have an immediate way to be able to find out which kinds of foods are giving you a big glucose spike and which ones are not. Um, that's available right now. And, you know, I think that's just super cool and everybody should try it. In a few years, you know, there are plenty of people that are working on newer types of devices that can measure things beyond just glucose. And uh, that's going to be very exciting because what if you could tell in real time how your cholesterol levels change or your various different hormones or, um, uh, you know, lipids, things like that. How do they change based on what you eat, based on your activity? I think that's where the future is headed and that's going to be very cool. Will we look back a few, in a few years' time at this um, current time that we are now and think how ridiculous it was that we weren't eating personalized? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just like I, I told you about the, uh, you know, the early days of the computer microcomputer revolution. You know, now you look back and you say, it was just so obvious that people are going to need word processors and. Like, you know, they didn't even have the concept of a spreadsheet back then. I mean, that's just so obvious. Somebody should have just written a spreadsheet. Well, or, you know, that like you should be able to find some way to connect all these computers together and maybe make it so that they can send messages to one another. And and before long, you know, you're looking back in time and you're thinking what looks like obvious to us was not at all obvious at the time. And the same thing is going to be true about um, you know, personalized food in the future. People are going to look back at us and say, you guys ate the most primitive crap. I can't believe you put that stuff in your mouth. <laughs> That's what I think it's going to look like in the future. I mean, I guess just to close out, can we talk about healthcare and 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 if this could be integrated into the healthcare system and yeah, we can we can kind of close out on that note. 
yeah, that's a that's always the you know that's like a key question is we all want to live healthier lives we all want to we want to we want to um, uh, not be sick we want to have as much energy and as much uh, you know wellness and longevity as we can and you know then you think of uh, how can you maybe translate this to a societal level and make it so that you know that all of us are living you know healthier and people are worried about you know inequities in healthcare and and um, why some countries seem to be more successful than other countries and all those things. And, and I guess I look at that as a, that's a problem that's too big for me to solve. And I don't have specific advice about, you know, healthcare in general. But what I think is exciting about the world of personalized, you know, um, diagnostics and, you know, personalized nutrition is that that's something that you can do regardless of what goes on in the outside world and regardless of what the bigger system looks like. Um, because no matter what happens, uh, the technology now is available at a price point that you or I can figure out ourselves. And all it takes is the energy or the, the knowledge or the, um, the will to um, sit down and, and learn it for yourself. And that's really where I think that the most progress is going to be made is just like normal people making their own decisions and communicating with other normal people who are making their decisions. And um, you know, that's why you know, I, I call the term personal science is instead of having science be done by this big you know, industry, industrial complex of big grants and big, you know, big donors doing big things. Maybe there's ways that uh, normal people like you and me can uh, can do the same sorts of things. And that's where I think the real change is going to happen is on that individual level. Microbiome hackers. Is that what we should call it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Join the revolution. It's the, it's the new homebrew movement. We're this we're exactly. the brand of. Uh, of that's the right. That's what's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> that's the future. You heard it here first, Richard. I wanted to, I wanted to ask uh, about your ebook um, just for our listeners. Could you just give us a brief overview? What's what's included? Uh, who should read it, and where can they find it? Oh, definitely. So go check it out. Go to personalscience.com, and um, uh, you can click the links there and find out. And you know, uh, it's it's downloadable. It's free. Go take a look. The um, it's just my summary of everything that I've learned about the microbiome, and I continue to update it. I update it every time that I get new information or find out you know, something new. Uh, and it's a result of my more than 600 uh, studies on myself, as well as you know the close to a thousand other people who've sent me their data. Um, I would love it if people uh, take a look at that book, and then um, if you have any of your own data or your own experiences, um, you know, definitely reach out to me because I'm always interested in talking to people who uh, have some kind of um, knowledge about the microbiome. I appreciate, Matt, you sending me your day two results and anybody else has day two results or results from Biome or any other company, you're welcome to send it to me. I'm very happy to talk to people more and, um, and, and uh, you know, it's my goal that we can all learn more together as a result. And what's the best way to reach you? Twitter, LinkedIn? Email. Yeah, you know what? I prefer uh, it's uh, Twitter is a really great way to meet me. I I try to um, stay pretty uh, on top of my Twitter stuff. So Sprague, just my last name, S P R A G U E at Twitter. Uh, you can send me a direct message there, or um, uh, follow me and see what the latest that I'm up to. And uh, <laughs> I again encourage people to contact me. I always love talking to people about this stuff. Um, what, one last thing for me. What should I do next? I just did. You know, I did the day two. I did the and I sent my 23andMe data to that Geno Palette. Still itching for more actionable data. Should I try Viome next? Uh, yes, you should try Viome. Yeah, you should try it. Uh, the thing that's interesting to me about Viome is that they did what you or I would do if we were a startup that had a, enough money that we could afford to uh, recruit a thousand volunteers to go do a 
uh, you know, wear a continuous glucose monitor and test your cells, you know, uh, before and after. And they've done that. They crunched all the numbers on that big study of a thousand people. And, you know, that's what they've got as the result of their tests. And I can tell you from talking to the people of Viome is that they're very serious about the microbiome and, and figure out where this leads next. And um, whether the results are going to be good or bad or, you know, appropriate for you or not, I leave that kind of up to you to decide. But it's definitely one of the ones that I would check out. Another one is um, the company Somagen, PSO uh, Somagen, who have, um, they bought the assets from the bankrupt Ubiome. And I think you can look forward to um, you know, some news out of them. Yeah, those are, you know, those are the ones that I would look at. Okay, awesome. Amazing. Really great to have you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. It's great talking to you guys as well. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to know more about Food Hack and our global network of food entrepreneurs, head to foodhack.global or reach out to host a food tech meetup in your city. And if you're curious to get a first-hand look at the latest trends at the intersection of food and tech in the U.S., check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with no U and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter.